travel later today with that, you know, that, uh, that blizzard thing. Oh, that blizzard thing. Mm -hmm. That blizzard thing. Oh, well, here's the report. The National Weather Service is calling for a big blizzard thing. Yes, yeah. they are. Uh -huh. But, you know, there's another reason why today is especially exciting. Especially cold. Especially cold. Yeah. Okay. But the big question on everybody's lips. Yeah, their chap lips. On their chap lips. Chap right. lips. Do you think... Phil's gonna come out and see a shadow. Punks a tawny Phil. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! Get up and check that hog out there! Yeah! Why not? The movie podcast and the nerds who haunt them themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies. Which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you've enjoyed the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Am I Not group on Facebook, or wherever you see this episode posted. As we're in the early episodes of 2024, I'm going to do a shout out at the top of the episode to say that if you enjoy the show and would like to support it, you can do so by liking or subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or review if you have a second or two to spare. This podcast is 100% free to listen to and always will be. I don't have a Patreon, I don't have ads in the pod, and I will never ask you for money. So any support you can offer in spreading the word about each episode is huge and we're really grateful. Thank you. As it's February, we're using the month to kick off a celebration of Time Loop movies, and we're kicking things off with returning guest and all-star superfan co-host Rob O'Connor as we celebrate Groundhog Day by discussing the 1993 Howard Ramis Bill Murray comedy classic Groundhog Day. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's enter the Time Loop vortex and roll the trailer. Time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... It's Groundhog Day! In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. <laughs> He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life mm. like there's Phil? no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because... There isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. 
But to get what his heart wants most. What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? Means living this day over again <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be okay. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. Hello, Rob. How are you? How am I? Do you have any idea how many times we've had this exact same conversation? How many times we've recorded about this exact same movie? In about 30 seconds, you're going to ask me what my first experience listening, watching this movie was. And then about a minute after that, you're going to read the, um, the, the Barry Norman review. Or the Barry... What's his name? You're going to read the BBC review. And we're going to have the exact same conversation we've had 800 times. And then we're going to do it all again tomorrow. I'll tell you what, then, to make it different this time, I'll do the Barry Norman review first, and then I'll ask you your memories of first seeing it. What? I know. You're changing the rules. So, yeah, in case anybody couldn't guess or didn't see the icon or read the title of the episode, we are talking about Groundhog Day. So, a little bit of information about the film. Directed by Harold Ramis, written by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis, from a story by Danny Rubin. Starring Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, and Chris Elliott. With Stephen Toblowski, Brian Dawn Murray, and a very young Michael Shannon. Released in cinemas on the 12th of February 1993 in the US and the 7th of May 1993 in the UK. Grossed $71,108,592 worldwide on an estimated budget of $14,600,000, according to IMDb. Roger Ebert gave the film three stars out of four, saying, The film is lovable and sweet. Formula comedies are a dime a dozen. Those based on an original idea are more rare. And Grand Old Day, apart from everything else, is a demonstration of the way that time can sometimes give us a break. Just because we're born SOBs doesn't mean we have to live that way. Annoyingly, with that original review, he mostly summarises the film and then does a little paragraph at the end, which is that. But he went back to the film in 2005 and re-reviewed it, and this time he gave it four stars out of four, saying, Grangle Day is a film that finds its note and purpose so precisely that its genius may not be immediately noticeable. It unfolds so inevitably, is so entertaining, so apparently effortless, that you have to stand back and slap yourself before you see how good it really is. And yeah. then there was a Barry Norman review on an episode of Film 93, which I'm going to guess was around May time. Barry Norman reviewed the film, saying, Well, this is an unusual and amusing idea written by Danny Rubin and directed by Harold Ramis. OK, like the recent weather, it's patchy. Michael Fish or John Ketley indeed might sum it up as sunny and bright with occasional cloudy spells. But the dark moments, alternating with the humour, lend it weight. And Bill Murray, running the gamut of emotions from frustration to rage to genial benevolence, is ideally cast. There's an unpredictable, sometimes even inscrutable edge to his comedy, which keeps sentimentality in its place and leaves you wondering what he'll do next. So, fairly positively reviewed at the time, what are your memories of first seeing the film? Now, I'll just have to rack my brains, having done this 79,000 times before. Um, first memories of seeing this... Do you know what? My, my, my earliest memory is actually my teacher in school telling us about this movie and what it was about and thinking wow that sounds amazing so i distinctly remember him 
talking about this movie called Groundhog Day about a guy who lives the same day again and again and again. And I remember thinking that that's a why would you call the movie that? Uh, and then I also I specifically remember him describing the scene where Bill Murray is able to predict events to such a degree that he's able to rob the money from the um from the uh the, the the brinks truck or whatever you want to call it so that that's actually i i don't remember the first time i actually saw the film i think it must have been a couple of years after that but that's my distinct memory my first memory of grand dog day is hearing about it um and that sticks out in my head for some reason i had a similar thing i don't remember first thing i remember that it was my dad who introduced me to it because he'd obviously seen it somewhere or heard about it or seen it advertised on a trailer for something and really wanted to watch it. So, yeah, we ended up watching it as a family. And, yeah, I was into it anyway because it was Bill Murray and it was Howard Ramis directing. It's kind of just barely a family movie as well, isn't it? It's like there's nothing too raunchy in it, but there's a couple of things in it where you're kind of like, do I want a young kid seeing this? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was 13, 14, well, 13 when it came out, going on 14. So, yeah. And to be fair, most of the raunchier stuff, like uh, suggesting perverted things he could do with the groundhog he kidnapped. <laughs> Sort of went over my head. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Howard Ramis did two great films for me, which was Groundhog Day and Multiplicity. Two high concept ideas. Oh wow! I did. I didn't see it. I, wow. Yeah. I I like Multiplicity too. Sorry. Go on. I love Multiplicity because Michael Keaton and again it's Harold Ramis. It's him working with somebody yes. that I really like. And Andy McDowell. And Andy McDowell again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is the. Certainly not the first time loop story, and I don't think it's the first time loop film. I think there might have been some that predate it, but it's definitely the one that put time loops on the map. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, you have uh, Cause and Effect, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode predates this as well, doesn't it? So it I was going to bring that up well. later, but yeah. it's uh... Although it's, it's not as much of a perennial family classic. <laughs> it's like your granny, you know, sitting down, oh, let's watch Cause and Effect, Star Trek The Next Generation, whereas I think Groundhog Day is, like you said, it's a timeless family movie for everyone in the audience can kind of enjoy something out of Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's so genius how it lays all the pieces into place to be looking out for from the small yes. from the big things like, you know, Ned Ryerson to the, the tiny little thing spotting people in the background, cars stalling, that sort of thing. I mean, I'm assuming everybody's seen the film if they're listening to this because we are going to spoil the shit out of it. Not that, I mean, most of the reviews spoil it to be fair by saying that Bill Murray becomes a good guy in the end. Because he's a yeah. proper dick to begin with. He is. And do you know what? One of the things that really struck me watching it this time is really he wouldn't he wouldn't have this grand cathartic moment where he becomes a better person. He'd just go insane. <laughs> and and if he ever if like the the him emerging on the on the next day, as happens at the end of the film, that wouldn't be this this moment of, you know, ecstasy and relief. It would be a moment of, you know, pure despair as his mind finally snaps. Because he'd, he'd have his whole world essentially ripped away from him. Because his whole world became this one day. So, I don't know. I, maybe that, that, that's, I've, I've become too old and cynical for Groundhog Day now. I kind of imagine the you know, harsh reality thing is just an aneurysm going off in his brain. Just stepping outside and going... Yeah, like, imagine having the powers of a god for essentially... I mean, did they, I know Harold Ramis has said this. Have they kind of ever stipulated how long they think the time loop actually lasts in this film? Didn't they say it was, well, they've never specifically said, I think some people have said it was like 40 years. 40 years. And then other people have said they deliberately didn't want to say how long he'd been. I mean, he hints at how long he's been, like when they're tossing the cards in, he says that it takes six months practice, four hours a day. Kind of indicates, if you can believe him or not, that he's 
spent at least six months doing that. And I imagine all the stuff he learns would take time. Yeah. I, I like to think, for you know, for the purposes of believing that he still has his sanity intact by the end of the film, I like to think that he's only been in there max 10 years um because it's the it's the only way to really but i'm I'm taking the film way too seriously now at this point i I think it's a beautiful film it's 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 pretty much perfect i mean there's a couple of little things that have maybe not aged as well as they could have and not even problematic stuff just stuff that maybe was funny in the 90s and isn't anymore but uh for the most part it is largely a perfect film and it's a perfect lead performance like it really is difficult to think of anyone else who could have played that part um and and you can see that in like the likes of multiplicity which again i really really like but it doesn't quite have that i don't think michael keaton brings the magic to that that bill murray brings to this um and yeah it's it's just so lovely and and, and as, as you said it, it takes a concept that previously had only really been used in kind of anaraki sci-fi like there's probably a lot of doctor who time loop episodes as well uh and there's definitely a couple of star trek ones and there's a bunch of other there's great time loop episodes there's there's i mean i reviewed a lois and clark one on my podcast there's a great supernatural one this really just opened it up to the mainstream like you know it it, it introduced the idea in a perfect kind of and and they had that wonderful idea of not actually explaining what 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 was the result or the cause of the time loop it, it just happens and that's it and there's a little kind of like when you listen out for it, there's like a jingly bit of music that plays when the blizzard hits that implies that there's something supernatural going on. I always read it that way. I don't know about you. I've always sort of looked at it as a bit like a time travel movie. It's like, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Don't think about yes. it afterwards. Cause no, no, no. I mean, I mean, I do have questions, questions that will probably come up in all the time loop episodes is, is everybody stuck in a time loop, but he's the only one who's aware of it. Does it create alternate parallel universes where... You know, in one he is now engaged to Nancy. Oh, wow. And there's there's other ones where he's just in prison for life. And he mentions, actually, one thing I noticed this time, he he talks kind of halfway through the movie when he's really going through his dark phase of, of depression. He mentions that, um, or no, it's, it's kind of towards the end of that phase. He mentions that he's been stabbed and poisoned <laughs> and shot to death. I really, I'd love to go back and see all of those, uh, in what circumstance did he find himself poisoned? Like, I'm just picturing this, this, this like kind of animal control. Like, maybe he's kidnapped the groundhog, and like an animal control guy comes after him with a tranquilizer or something, and accidentally hits him with a poison dart instead of a tranquilizer dart. There's probably an entire like nine seasons TV series they could make out of it, where each episode's a different day. But don't say that too loud. <laughs> Coming this fall, starring Jake Johnson. Actually, he'd be pretty good at something like this. It'd be a shittier actor than that. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, somebody you've never heard of, but he's big over there. But yeah, I I like his journey in this. I like the phase he goes through. Mm. Um, so before we get, because obviously talking about Bill Murray, you're going to get into the main body of everything. I think the supporting cast is good around him from the yeah. big roles to the small roles. Um, obviously, Brian Dormurray turns up. Stephen Tobolowski is uh, Needle Nose Ned is great. Andy McDowell's great as well. I'm not I tend to swing with Andy McDowell, but I, I think she's really in films where she's really good. She's really good. And in other yeah. films, she's just a bit, and it may be the material rather than. Yeah. I like, I feel, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this. I feel like Andy McDowell can do one or two things really, really well. And, uh, it, I just don't know how much range she has beyond that. Like, 
When I think of her other roles that I really like, I think of Multiplicity, where she's largely playing the same character as she's playing in this. And, you know, films like, well, Four Weddings, she's kind of a little bit feistier and saucier, but it's still kind of just a variation of what she's doing in this. But, like, I like her. You know, she's she's pleasant. She's uh, She's got a good presence in films. Yeah, um, no, I like her as well. She was the genuine surprise of Ready or Not for me as well. If if I was to think of one role where she really surprised me, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, it's actually Magic Mike XXL. She plays this kind of like unloved, unfulfilled uh, mother I'd like to get along famously with. And one of, one of Magic Mike's compadres ends up getting along famously with her. And it's it's actually done in a really beautiful way. And like, you don't, there's no sex scene or anything like that. They just sort of show you the build up and it's, it's just really, really nice. And she's really, really good in that. And I was kind of like, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect Andy McDowell to be in this film and I didn't expect to be enjoying her as much as I am. Uh, I, and I can't imagine that uh, Joe Manganiello did either. But yeah, you've got that. Obviously, like I say, you've got a very young Michael Shannon in a small role. It's weird to think that that enthusiastic young guy is usually playing troubled characters, Michael Shannon. Yeah. I love, uh, he doesn't even have the best, mo- that that scene at the end where uh, Phil gives them the, the WrestleMania tickets and uh, the, the, the bride kind of gives Phil Connors a little kiss on the cheek. And then Michael Shannon, he, he thinks that it's just, he just thinks that it's the, the polite thing to do. He kisses Andy McDowell on the cheek and then she just, she his bride then just gives him this dagger and like pulls him away. I, it's such a great moment of comedy that, love it. Uh, shout out to uh, the late great Willie Garson, by the way, who's also in this. He plays Phil's assistant, uh, Kenny, I believe the character's name is. He's only really at the start of the movie, but it's just always nice seeing him. He's He was, um, what was his character's name in Sex and the City? Stanford. Uh, and, you know, he's so camp and so incredibly kind of flamboyant in Sex and the City. You forget that, like, he had this other career as a character actor where he it, most of the characters he played were just kind of you know, just normal everyday men. So it it just, it, it makes you appreciate even more that he had this iconic role later on in his career. And it's it's sad that he's gone. So just wanted to shout out to him. Actually, uh, shout out, there's another actor, Rick Ducommon. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, he's one of the two drunks, isn't he? He's one of the two drunks. He's the guy who makes the glass half full analogy. Um, and he was kind of, he was kind of one of those character actors in the 90s and the early 2000s. He's in The Burbs as well. He's in Spaceballs. He's in a scary movie. I was watching a little film called Blank Check last week. Have you ever seen Blank Check? Many, many years ago. It's quite bad. It's it's a Home Alone ripoff about a kid that gets a blank check and he basically writes himself a million dollars. And Miguel Ferrer, he, through a series of strange circumstances, he steals a million dollars from Miguel Ferrer, who then comes and tries to Home Alone the money back off the kid. But the kid has all these rich kid toys that he uses as traps. And anyway, Rick Ducommon plays this kid's uh, chauffeur in it, and he's kind of just his 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 best friend that he buys, uh, and he's he's really nice and charming in that too. And I I read that he uh, he passed away from complications with diabetes, age sixty two, which is quite sad. So shout out to Rick Ducommon as well. Yeah, I remember blank check. I remember thinking the kid was a prick. So <laughs> I remember thinking for the longest time that that kid was the kid from Free Willy, but it's actually. And I couldn't believe this. It's the kid who played Alexander in Star Trek The Next Generation. This is going wildly off topic. Apologies. Take us back to Punxsutawney. I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster. Drank pina coladas. 
At sunset, we made love like sea otters. That was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day over and over and over? You know, some guys would look at this glass and they would say, you know, that glass is half empty. Other guys would say, that glass is half full. I think you as a glass is half empty kind of guy, am I right? What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? That about sums it up for me. I love when um, he's doing that. He does the weather at the beginning, then he sits back down at the news desk. He's like, you must really like it. You've been three times? <laughs> Four, Jan. Yeah. Four. And then his face just sinks. My God. I mean, I, I hate talking about kind of dated aesthetics because it's just not fair you know that kind of way but bill murray's hair throughout the 80s and 90s it's just like it just wouldn't exist now it it, it couldn't it actually couldn't occupy space in in in, in today's times like it it's just it's a thing of pure madness like i thought michael keaton had crazy hair bill murray what is happening it's receded and it's kind of just wavy and curly and kind of a power mullet and just thin and scraggly and it's just like ahead of i i just i don't know and and then but he's perfect you perfectly buy him as a weather man at the same time oh yeah yeah completely it's uh him and steve martin as the wacky weatherman in la story are my two favorite weathermen and i love that first scene with andy mcdowell where she's messing around in front of the blue screen she got the blue coat yeah on. I thought that was a really nice, lovely way to introduce her character and sort of tell you what you need to know about her. And then you've got Chris Elliott as well as Larry, which I can't get a read on Larry. He seems like just a decent jobbing guy, but then he makes a couple of comments and they seem to set him up at the end with the 25 cents in the bachelor auction. Yeah. <laughs> to be like I, I think he's kind of... And it's kind of like, does, does he deserve that comeuppance? He's just that kind of lovable everyday sleaze, like like functionally harmless, but still, you know, you want to keep him at arm's length kind of thing, you know? They laid the sleaze groundwork a little bit more throughout, but he's just a guy who like kind of hates the talent he's got to work with. Um, I, but he's also, he's like a touch self-absorbed as well. Like you see him having a drink with Nancy at one bit and he's just going on and on about himself and you can see how bored she is. That's at the end. They sort of set him up to be the... Yeah. And you're kind of like, this just seems to have swung from nowhere. I can believe it. I can believe he's that desperate guy. I love when he puts his hand on her shoulder and she just presses it when he just does. Yeah. <laughs> and when he sees me want him in the auction for 25 cents, he's like, oh, shit. He went on to be in um, There's Something About Mary, which is another film that's not aged well in places. No. I, I always think of him as uh, Lily's father in How I Met Your Mother probably quite uh quite millennial of me but that he always sticks out in my head as that and he's in he's one of those other guys like he's just one of those jobbing comedian character actors who's sort of in everything as well you know yeah because it's quite uh, weird yeah, there's no, only three was... names on the poster for this film and he's the third really wow not even brian brian doyle murray it's it's uh my alarm when i wake up every day is sunny and Cher. Tuned oh, up wow. to the exact bit I edited the song oh my so goodness. that he kicks it in. So it was kind of weird watching this film and be like, Mike, what? 
it's time to get up. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, I, I always get kind of sickened by alarms after a while and I have to change it. Do you get that thing with alarms where if you hear the alarm, if you hear the alarm sound at another time of the day, you just suddenly feel tired? It's like your brain telling you to go back to sleep. <laughs> I can't decide if this film is the best thing or the worst thing that happened to Sonny and Jer. Um, hmm, interesting. I I would say I I would say this 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 gave that song a bit of a boost. I mean, Cher was right on the cusp of her big Renaissance period as well. It's like one of the songs. Like, oh, I like that song, and then it becomes nightmare fuel. So we should probably talk about the journey Phil goes on because half of the appeal of a time loop movie is how the character deals with it. Yes, and I I love his look of confusion on the first day, and the immortal line of "Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster?" Yeah. No, but I can ask the kitchen. <laughs> love it, love it. And I, I, I really pins the guy up against the wall. He's <laughs> like, it's like, what day is it? It's like Groundhog Day. It's like, oh, okay. I thought that was yesterday. <laughs> that guy is great as well. Like, he's just so kind of irritatingly chipper. Like, he's exactly the kind of guy that you don't want to. And like, I meant to say as well, Phil, when he's told that he's he's staying in the nice bed and breakfast up the road, and he's like, oh, that sounds great. No man, I've been on I've been on so many shoots with work. Like I I work in a similar job to Phil Connors in this film. I I'm a, a TV producer and small independent productions, unscripted stuff. So it's I work with a lot of kind of broadcasters and uh, reporters and 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 weathermen and stuff like that. You don't want to stay in a B and B because when you stay in a B and B, everybody comes up and asks you what you're doing and how long you'll be in town for. And everything that happens to Phil in this B&B is why you don't want to stay in B&Bs. You want to stay in a hotel where it's impersonal, nobody talks to you, and you can just get get in, get out. There's no kind of... So I, I was actually a little bit surprised when she said, oh, you're staying in the nice B&B. It was like, oh, wow, thank you, you know? Um, and, and yeah, the same thing, B&Bs, like there's always problems with like the hot water or, you know, again, something that happens or, you know, they, they, they don't have a fancy coffee machine so just that was funny but yeah the the, the, ir- the irritatingly chipper guy is great <laughs> but yeah i love sort of the journey i love the bit in the bar with the two drunks where he's uh where he says the you know what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day it was exactly the same and nothing oh, yeah. didn't matter and then ralph the one drunk goes i bet it sums it up for me that about sums it up and he really breaks your heart with that line delivery like it's not like yeah, like it's it's kind of a punchline, it's kind of a gag, but it's also kind of the, the, the darker, more human parts of the film just kind of creeping out and letting you know what the film is really about. And I, I really, really like that because I know that like Bill Murray and Harold Ramis clashed about how serious the film should be and Murray wanted it to be more philosophical and Ramis wanted it to be more of a broad comedy and I think they met in the middle in the best possible way. But uh, I love those moments in this because that's the thing with this one. I think the tone is spot on. I think like Barry Norman said, it perfectly alternates with the humour and the dark stuff to lend weight to it, to both of it. Because obviously you get the... It'd be very easy to... I mean, it kind of makes suicide funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and mental illness and, and just general d- depression, I guess, really. like, like... Yeah, because you're properly correct. That scene where he's the Jeopardy scene where he's answering all the questions, but then you realize yeah. it's like, oh, that's funny. But then you also think about it like, shit, no, he's that broken. 
Yeah, and like literally, he starts swigging like Jack Daniels while 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 the rest of them are applauding him. Like they're just so oblivious to what's going on, even though he's right there, kind of drinking Jack Daniels in the middle of the day in his pajamas. I mean, I love the realization that there's no consequences repeating mm. the same day over and over. Again. And Too early for flapjacks. <laughs> Driving on the train track and having the conversation while they're still going on the train. Oh, and uh, the, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, oh, you know. Be nice to your sister. Do your homework. Brush your teeth. Don't drive on the train tracks. And then Rick Ducommon has that great delivery of, uh, Phil, that's actually one I happen to agree with. <laughs> I do love as well with the police chase. Then he just like, turns towards the window and it's just like, we're talking in here. But yeah, I do love the handsome flapjacks. Do ready for flapjacks. Do ready for flapjacks. And I love this whole thing just before that as well about, you know, talking about the great day he had. Of wishing he could repeat that day over and over again. Oh yeah, making love like sea otters with the girl and drinking pina coladas. Yeah, that that that's one of the lines I was referring to. By the way, it's like, do you want to watch this with the whole family? <laughs> I guess thirteen or fourteen is okay. It's not like there's like full on sex scenes or something. They're probably the uh, no. The, the closest it comes to a sex scene was probably the most uncomfortable thing to watch with your parents, but. Um, I mean, one of the things that's leveled at this film as being sort of problematic now is the way he uses information to seduce people. Yeah, but I mean, it's all part of his uh, his journey as a character, though. He never does that at the end of the film when he's become a better person. Sure he hasn't, I don't think. No, I mean, yeah. But it's always the thing that people level it. And I think people misremember how the film ends because a lot of people are like, yeah. you know, he basically tricks... Andy McDowell into falling in love with him and that's not he, he has a whole journey to be a better person he just incorporates yeah, and everything I, I, she likes into yeah and I don't I don't think it's a calculated maneuver at the end of the film to make her fall in love with him I think he just genuinely has become a better person because he's become more present and he's taken the time to appreciate the people around him much more and she just naturally sees that in him and falls in love with him as a result it's not it's not like he's whereas early in the movie he's he's planning it all out like one of these weirdos on YouTube like he's learning everything about her and uh, you know he's he's trying to craft the perfect day so that she'll sleep with him and it's it's not the same thing at all so yeah no I I, I wouldn't see that as as something you could level at the film well no I'd argue if anything he changes himself rather than and you know for the better it's no different to Sandy at the end of Greece. Yeah. changing herself to a, completely changing who she is to appeal to John Travolta. It's like, that that's more problematic to me than this. Oh, very much so. Because, like I say, he doesn't change her. He doesn't manipulate her in any way. He just becomes a better person and the person that she would want. Like I say, early on when he uses it to seduce um, Nancy and that, and he's just you know, what's your name? What school did you go to? Although I yeah. do love where he gets that information. Because okay, thanks, and just walks off like, hey. Do you know what struck me this time as well is he's doing the Ned Ryerson maneuver on Nancy because Ned Ryerson comes up and says, oh, Phil, Phil Connors, you know, I I was in your English class. I dated your sister until you told me not to. And like, that could just as easily have been a thing that Ned Ryerson did if he was in a time loop, you know? Um, And he has no memory, but, but he, you know, he feels... In, in the same way that he goes Ned Ryerson like he knows that Nancy will do that because of course you would in such an awkward situation 
I, I never noticed that before. I thought that was cool. We've all been in that thing where we've run into somebody and they've talked to us and we're kind of, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, don't you remember me from D- from college or whatever? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> you? <laughs> I barely remember me from college. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like in the diner as well, actually, just quickly before I go into it, that there are several stopped clocks around where he's sitting. Oh, interesting. I never noticed that. It's a nice little detail that I... I think, well, I picked it up today. It's weird what you spot when you're watching a film and making notes. I think, um, and I love he has that line of morons, your bus is leaving. Um, and then obviously Harold Ramis himself pops up. Oh, as the uh, the the brain surgeon or the brain doctor? He's like, you know, you'd have to go to Pittsburgh for that. He's like, can't go to Pittsburgh. It's like, why? Because of the blizzard. I, I know that there's this whole thing that he has to go to Pittsburgh. Like, it seems very fortuitous that he's even able to get his brain scanned in one day. Yeah, again, I, I think it's a plot. There's a lot of plot contrivances, I think. But you kind of just, again, it's one of those things. Just don't don't think about it. Of course. <laughs> um, and then obviously you get the great psychiatrist scene. Well, no spots, no clots, no tumors, no lesions, mm, no aneurysms. At least none that I can see, Mr. Connors. Of course, if you want a CAT scan or an MRI, you're going to have to go into Pittsburgh. I can't go into Pittsburgh. Why can't you go into Pittsburgh? I told you there's a blizzard. Oh, right, the blizzard. You know what you may need, Mr. Connors? A biopsy. A psychiatrist. That's an unusual problem, Mr. Connors. Uh... Most of my work is with couples, families. I have an alcoholic now. Well, you went to college, right? I mean, it wasn't veterinary psychology, was it? Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Yeah, sort of, I guess. Uh, Abnormal psychology. So, what do I do? I think we should meet again. How's tomorrow for you? Is that not good? So he puts the cushion on his face and just starts beating himself. That's banging us. <laughs> Amazing. And then he, obviously you get the, the first attempt at a romantic thing where he decides that Andy McDowell's the one he wants and he just decides he's going to seduce her. Which, initially, is it love or is it he just wants to sleep with her? Or it's what he thinks love is in his warped state at that point in the film. Uh, but yeah, I think he mainly wants to sleep with her. <laughs> and it's so well done the way they repeat scenes because you can see moments where he is being genuine. Like when he's talking to her at the bar initially and then they'll play the same scene again and his line delivery will feel that little bit more contrived each time because he's trying to remember things that he's done before because they worked before and it just works on so many layers and the best bit is when he's he's having the snowball fight with the kids and in the first instance of it you know he's like oh get behind me my lady i'll protect you from these perilous knaves or something like that and it's kind of fun it's kind of cute it's kind of romantic and then he sort of mentions something offhand about how like i wish i could do this with my own kids someday and she sort of gives him this look of, oh, that's really sweet and sensitive. 
But then when they do the second instance of it, he just doubles down on that and he starts throwing the snowballs at the kids going, oh, maybe one of you is up for adoption. <laughs> I've got a humdinger right here. And it's so cringy and contrived. And and then like there was a bit earlier where he sort of lands beside her and there's this cute moment of will they, won't they, are they going to kiss? And he tries to recreate that and it's just so awkward. You want to die. So good. I've got that note of trying to recreate an organic, natural moment. Yeah, he sort of he throws himself down in the second one because he doesn't try to help her up and she pulls him down. It's and he just, I think, because he'd been rejected the night before, he just sort of he's all manic and like cackling and just constantly talking about you know I want to have kids, I want to have loads of kids, I want to adopt kids, I want to have kids, and he's just like that's the signs that he's starting to snap. And then you get the cut of the repeatedly being rejected by Rita and slapped in the face. Um, I do like his line about studying 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a oh, waste yeah. of time. What a waste of time. Now, I have to admit, I have done that in the past. <laughs> not not to, not to people who've studied poetry as such, but definitely, and I don't want to mention the subjects because I'll alienate listeners, but I've definitely been at parties and I've had a couple of drinks and someone mentions what they study or what they used to study or, or whatever it is. And I kind of just laugh and I'm like, oh my God. And you immediately, you feel the air go out of the room. As soon as you... Now, this has not happened in years and years and years, but it has happened. And I suspect it's happened more than once. I've done similar things multiple times working in retail. Yeah. People have come in and it's not like a job while they're at school. It's what they've done post-university. It's yes. like, oh yeah, I studied psychiatry. It's like, now you're working in football. Well, that was a waste one. <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of caught myself having said it and just walk off <laughs> I like that when he's doing the thing with the drink with her and then it's the I like to drink to say a prayer and say, uh, drink to world peace and then you see the barman roll his eyes and I can't decide whether the barman is just like I can't believe she's buying this bullshit or whether the barman's aware that there's a time loop going on I don't think he is. I think it's, I can't believe she's buying this bullshit, but I like throwing that little extra thing out there. It was great. And I, I actually meant to shout out that barman. He's really, really good. And and later on, you see Larry throwing some kind of sleazy maneuvers on Nancy. And you see the barman kind of shaking his head at him too. He's great, that guy. I almost wonder if they used, if they used a different take from the same record of the earlier scene in that Larry scene, because he's like set up in the exact same way He's framed the same way and he's wearing the same clothes. And he's even, it looks like he's washing the same glass. Yeah, I suppose it would be the same time that Phil was there, wouldn't it? But just a different circumstance. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I keep forgetting. It's it's literally the same day. Yeah, absolutely. Because the film's surprisingly good at keeping those. I know a lot of people are like, well, he technically leaves the hotel room slightly earlier. So things should be slightly different when he's out on the street. And But I think you need that repetitiveness to be as it is. Yeah. If it's slightly different, then it's going to throw it. It's like the genius thing they do at the end with the Sonny and Cher song playing again, but it's playing from a different point, but you don't notice it the first time. But mm. It's your first clue that it is actually gone to the next day. Yeah. But yeah, and then like I say, he, oh, I love the scene as well of them dancing on the bandstand with the snow falling. Such a beautiful shot. It's lovely. It's, I mean, it's like, every Hallmark Christmas movie after ripped that off. but Yeah. Yeah, and like the, the whole, the look of the film is because you sort of don't think about how nicely shot it all is because it's, 
you know, it's 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 a comedy and all that, but that there are some beautiful moments of cinematography in this as well. Yeah. There's some nice directorial moments as well. I like at the beginning where to leave the studio it does a close up pan in on the TV screen that's showing the bridge. And yeah. And you go to the exterior shot of the bridge. It's not quite as smooth as it probably would be now, but it's a really I really like the idea of that. It's a nice transition edit kind of thing. I uh, j- just to tie it back into my own podcast, by the way, they, they they pass the building in that lovely big wide shot where you see the news van and that that song is playing my weatherman or whatever. Uh, you see the building that, if I am not mistaken, that kind of distinctive Pennsylvania building that they were going to use as LexCorp in Superman Lives. It sort of looked like it's this big, spectacular glass building with kind of a crown at the top of it nearly. Yeah, I, I, I think, I might be wrong, but I think in that documentary about Superman Lives, they, they Kevin Smith says, oh, you're not allowed to film that building because they're using it for LexCorp and Superman. <laughs> yeah, that's right, when he was doing Dogma, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. But yeah, that's our second Superman connection. <laughs> oh, third, actually, Michael Shannon as well. And and possibly Brian Doyle Murray, did he show up in Lois and Clark at one stage? He did, yeah, in the Chief of Steel episode. There you go. Because he has that great Superman line. Yeah, so anyway, it, it's nice that they get that man, really romantic manufactured day that has a couple of nice genuine moments in it. And it's nice yes. later on when he's told her, you know, this is what I'm going through. And he proves it by going round the diner. Like, this is Nancy, da 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 da. And she squeals like a chipmunk. But, oh, she makes noises like a chipmunk when she's excited. I like the whole thing of him going around the diner saying who everybody is. And how people are just kind of like, yeah, he's right. Like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't at all weird. <laughs> and it's that thing of how would you explain you're stuck in a time loop? It's uh, And just Doris standing there waiting to take their order while they're having that big conversation. Just like, I'll just come back. More coffee, hon? She's great too. She is. Check your bra, honey. But I like that they then have that one honest day where Rita knows everything that's going on. She's fully invested in it. And they have that nice thing of chucking the cards in the hat and then her realizing that it's midnight and it hasn't reset. And you'd be like, I never yeah. said it happened at midnight. <laughs> and you got that. And then that really, really nice moment that could have been really horribly, horribly saccharine yes. and where he's talking to her while she's asleep. What I wanted to say was, I think you're the kindest sweetest, prettiest person I've ever met in my life. I've never seen anyone that's nicer to people than you are. Mm. The first time I saw you, something happened to me. I knew that I wanted to hold you as hard as I could. Good. I swear I would love you. Forever. 
Bill Murray does that so well. Yeah, I think that's that's really the moment where it, it kind of goes beyond the Call of Duty. This film and it it, it becomes a five star film in the in that scene. I think and I think Bill Murray has even said like I don't know if he cited this specific scene, but he did say that Groundhog Day was kind of the launching pad for the the different career he had later on. And it's really in moments like that where you can you can see that like he's bringing a new level to his whole his whole kind of wheelhouse yeah and that that's probably that's probably my favorite bill murray scene of his of his career that that moment at least as as a serious dramatic actor um and i i, I do i do really like a, a lot some of his some of his lost in translations of lovely film you know um and the life aquatic and everything else but it it, it you can really see the genesis of all that in, in that scene in groundhog day for sure yeah and like i say i love his facial acting in certain scenes. He works. I even like that first suicide scene where he kidnaps the groundhog, where Larry has that, where um, Rita says, what's he going to do with a groundhog? And Larry says, I can think of a couple of things, pervert. <laughs> it's like, There's more about you, Larry. And that's sort of the only first sort of ground being laid that you know, Larry's not quite right. He's yeah. in love with a girl called Mary and he's getting a start. I, I love the bit after they go to examine his body, which which I I always feel like that bit is maybe pushing the tone a bit the wrong way. It's like when they the coroner pulls back the sheet and it's just dead Bill Murray. I'm like, I feel like they're going for laughs here and they're not landing. But what, what does land is when you cut back to Larry and Andy McDowell is kind of like, you know, trying to comfort herself by hugging Larry and Larry's kind of looking at her going, you know, maybe I could angle this. Yeah, because he's I like that. I liked him a lot. <laughs> yeah, he was a great guy. He has that great moment after the truck goes off into the quarry. Oh he's yeah, like, he's like he might be okay. <laughs> he's like oh, probably not now. <laughs> I I love the way he's he's recording Phil's breakdown as well the whole time when he's on this rampage and he's just got the camera out, which to be fair is something that a cameraman would do. But I just it's just a nice touch. It's kind of the dream for a cameraman, isn't it, to get? Yeah. What a scoop! That's it. Um, and then obviously, we jumping back a bit. We had the suicide montage. The I do like where he just comes down, takes the toaster with the toast still in it. Oh, that's great! And it's that real kind of like cake-like American toast. I'm sure it wasn't even real bread. It was probably just a prop. But like that really narrow, but also really thick. Very, very white bread that we don't have here. Yeah, it's and again, uh, Mrs. Lancaster's reaction is the oh, when the lights flicker, yeah, she knows what's going on, but yeah, and then obviously, after he's done that, he uh decides to try and better himself, offers a piano teacher a thousand dollars, which I love how she kicks the student out. Oh, that's great, and it's all the one shot. And and I never I ne- I always wonder watching it like as he becomes a better person is he still stealing the money all the time? No, I'm assuming or is he using his own money? He's just using his own money at that stage. Yeah, that's one of my questions for the end: is how much money did Phil drop in that last day? Yeah, he bought that insane policy, and now is his life going to be ruined now that like? <laughs> I assume a nineties weatherman probably made a decent chunk on a local station, uh, maybe. I guess it's probably like Frasier or 
American architects. You have Frasers in Seattle. I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And then I love Phil getting rid of Ned by coming on to him. I don't, oh, I don't yeah, know where you're going, but can you call in sick? I just love how uncomfortable Steve's still I have missed you. That's a great way to get rid of him. I mean, you know. <laughs> again, using his homophobia against him. Genius. 90s gay panic. But I just like the idea of him bettering himself. I like him sitting in the diner. Apart from he's got his shirt buttoned right up to the top with no tie. And that's just... Yeah. Looks like a guy who's going to knock on my door and tell me about Jesus. Yeah. The the, the bit I'm always kind of like... Ugh, is the, the bit where he like stuffs his face with the... Is it... So like a pound cake, is that what you call it? Uh, th- th- there's a bit where he puts an entire slice of cake with like. I think it's like a some kind of cream cake because of the way it folds into his mouth, and he's got yeah, some of it on the side of his face. And the shot just goes on for just like a little bit too long, and it's almost like they're they're trying to mine as many laughs as they can, and it feels like real kind of like retro kind of Animal House humor that. I don't know. I just I don't feel like that gross out stuff really plays as well today as it did back then. Um, that's it. There's like one or two jokes, and the other joke that I'm always kind of like, what? The bit where he he initially steals all the money, and then you see him pull up outside a cinema, dresses the man with no name, and you're just like, what? What were they going for here? Like this? This is like this to go and like, watch Heidi too. Yeah, what the a fuck is Heidi too? Is that a film? No. I... Not like anything I can find. And it's like, there's nothing else in the film about him wanting to live out his childhood fantasy of being a cowboy or anything. It's just this random scene of Bill Murray wearing a poncho and doing Clint Eastwood. I'm like, you know, I mean, and the film has a lean runtime, by the way. Like, it's one hour 40, and they're very economic with how they tell the story in a in a great way. But that's one scene where I'm always like, do, do we need this? <laughs> it is a weird scene, especially as there's no... You don't see that woman again like you see Nancy again. No. And you never see her prior to that. I always used to think that it was Nancy. And then Nancy walks by and you're like, oh, hang on a second. It's a different character. I love that he says hello to her. She's got no idea who he is. And then he turns to his date. He's like, she's my fiance. <laughs> or was it, it's not his ex, his ex-wife or his... His ex-fiance. Ex-fiance, I was, I was yeah. engaged to her once or something like that. But, but yeah, no, it's, it, it is a weird scene. It feels like there was either more to that that was cut. And they yeah. just kept that in because they found it funny. Or they wanted to show what he did with the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they had to show some scene of indulgence of some kind. And that was all they could think of, I guess. That that he could do in one day, maybe. Then you get the lovely... Well, I say lovely because it's kind of heartbreaking. But Superman-esque moment where he realises that despite all that those powers, he can't save the old man. Yes, lovely scene. Which, that scene where he's just put in... Uh, you know, super noodles in front of him, and then the other two plates. That old man is so good. Yeah, he's great. He's so adorable looking. Like he's just got this lovely. He's just, just, just such a huggable old timer that you and you really want to feed him. Like, and he looks so hungry and cold. And yeah, it's a great moment. It's like his face when he gives him the big pile of money on the street where he starts because he does that dickish thing of going and the I'll catch you tomorrow kind of thing. And then, yeah, he gives him just a big wad of cash, all the money he's got in his pocket. Which I assume is on he... his last day, he still does that for the old man as well. I would hope so, yeah. I mean, the, the implication, obviously, is that he believes that he can save this man. But yeah, the actuality is that no matter what, it was just his time to die. Which I don't know if he'd taken him straight to the hospital and just been like, 
but I, you know, I suppose he still would have died. So I've I've just looked up that man because he is he's quite distinctive in this role. Uh, his name is Les Podwell. And he was also in uh, a film called The Naked Face, wherein he was also credited as old man. Uh, the Naked Face starred Sir Roger Moore and Elliot Gould, which is kind of fun. And uh, another film he's in is Code of Silence with Chuck Norris, which is, if I remember correctly, a pretty good Chuck Norris film, if you can believe it. I do like that they then juxtaposed the old man not being able to be saved with him saving the kid from the tree. Yes. Which is a really nice sort of balance to that, I suppose, a yin and a yang to it. And I do like the yeah, whole thing it, of like, what do you say? What do you say? Yeah, like the old man is really appreciative and the, and the kid never thanks him. <laughs> so it's a nice kind of contrast. Yeah, because I think he, if nothing else, he gives that old man one really good last day kind of thing. You know, he gets yeah. to eat like a king. In a shitty diner in Punxsutawney, but yeah, no, I agree. He was the homeless I mean, kid we, from I... Santa Claus the movie who just grew up in Punxsutawney instead. Oh, wow, what a pull, what a pull. Are we saying that that kid died without Bill Murray's uh, intervention? I don't know if he would have died. He sort of falls backwards. He would have at least broken his back, I think. I, I would have thought it, maybe it's a broken arm or a broken leg. Maybe a, maybe a broken back, yeah. Maybe it was a serious injury. Definitely something nasty-ish, if not full-on death. But I suppose it depends how he landed. It looks like it's quite high in that tree. (laughs) But yeah, and then obviously it all culminates with him going around. He saves Brian Dole Murray's character from choking, and we find out he fixed somebody else's back. And Which I think is that Felix, that's one of the guys from the bank truck, isn't it? Oh, very good. Yeah, I never even noticed that. That's lovely. Yeah, and then you get the thing that movies and TV... A trope they seem to love is the bachelor auction, which I've never seen a bachelor auction in real life or seen one advertised anywhere. It feels like one of those weird like TV things. Because there was one in Lois and Clark, wasn't there? Where Superman got... Was there? I'm sure there's one where Superman got bid on and Lex didn't get much, or it was an old lady bought Lex. I Um, think you're right. Yeah, season one. Yeah, because Lois buys Superman, so... I just always remember the one in Saved by the Bell. Did you watch Saved by the Bell? Yes. I've not seen every episode, but... There was one where uh, Slater and Jack, and Zach, Jack, Zach and Screech go up and uh, Jesse, who is at that point Slater's girlfriend, like warns all the other girls not to bid on him. So there's this heartbreaking scene of Mario Lopez like flexing his guns on stage, thinking that everyone's going to be like falling over themselves trying to bid and nobody bids for him. It's really sad. My all-time favourite one is The Simpsons, where Mo walks up onto the stage and just keeps walking straight into the reject side of the stage. (laughs) Doesn't even stop. It's brilliant. Oh my goodness. But yeah, it's one of the... It seemed to be everywhere in the 90s. Any long-running... I think Frasier did it as well. I think Cheers probably did it too. Oh God, Stuart. I'm going to have to tell you this. Okay, I'm going to have to tell you this. I was in a bachelor auction in college one time. I know when I say college, I mean university, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I did get bid on, but I, it was not the highest bid of the night. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> See, I just, it's one of those things that's like, I would never enter myself. Like, why would I bring that upon myself? Oh, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't a dating one either. It was like a... Uh, it was like a 
bid and take your clothes off type. I'm, I'm going to stop talking now. This is not. <laughs> yeah, on TV, it's wholesome. It's like yeah. bid and you go on a date or. It's the 90s. Yes. This was the 2000s. So essentially, we the all know that. The 2010s, which is even worse. People paying for sex in movies and TV, but they just couldn't say that. <laughs> but, but yeah, and then, yeah. like I say, you got that whole party, which everything sort of comes together. I like Ned's thing about where are we going? It's like, oh, let's not, let's not ruin it. Let's not ruin it. The, like, shout out to whoever's playing the piano in that scene, by the way. And it looks like it's Bill Murray himself in a lot of bits, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I don't know if that's just really good camera work. Yeah. And like, even even if it isn't actually him, his kind of just... Uh, the way he holds himself in that scene is great and like the, the way he's just kind of dancing around on the piano and the, the way like when the song finally stops and he just like points at the guy it's just he's so effortlessly cool on that bit I love it again that's another one of those weird American movie things is where they have the live sort of jazz band at any kind of yeah functional party or anything like that it's like yeah, just 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 call call Larry down. He's got his double bass. <laughs> like, how many how many people do you know with a double bass? It feels a little bit like yeah, that's all royalty free music. So. <laughs> yeah, but no, like but back to the future. Back to the future always made me want to learn how to play the electric guitar, and this song always made me want to learn how to play the piano or this film, I should say, because it's just such a cool kind of piano scene, and he's wearing the glasses and everyone is just rocking out and he just looks so awesome and i love that bit i do love that in a day everybody just comes to love him yeah (laughs) (laughs) how much hard work in that day did he have to put in yeah it's like the 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 timing of it all like taking the time to visit an impact upon all of those people in one day and still have enough time to go to the big party at like i'm assuming the party is at what like seven it's like you know, it's hardly it's hardly like this you know eleven o'clock at night type thing. That's it, and he clearly goes for a piano lesson that day as well because his piano teacher is there taking a huge amount of pride in him, given that he only had that one lesson that one day. Yeah, I I, lo- I love that he he keeps up the thing in the time loop. He keeps up the facade of oh yeah, it's my very first lesson. Like he doesn't just go to her and go oh you know could I use your piano for an hour? He he goes no no this is my very first lesson. It's almost like at that point, and maybe you know maybe this is manipulative. At that point, he's telling her that it's his first lesson to make her feel good about herself. I, I, I do like this thing of like, but my dad moved pianos, so you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. And then, obviously, it works. Him and Rita go off have a lovely moment. I think she should be more weirded out when he tells her that he loves her. Yes, that, totally. For, yeah, for that, her, that, her time frame is: I met you yesterday. Yeah, and like that, that even as a kid, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I buy that now, especially because earlier in the film, like she didn't fall for him when he did all the crazy maneuvers. Like here, okay, fair enough, he's been way more genuine. It's actually coming from his heart and all this kind of stuff. She should still be a bit kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. It's been 20 hours. <laughs> I'm not being for like, you know, if you went out with somebody or, you know, somebody you worked with that you'd met the day before was like, this day's been, you've had a really good day together, but then she's turned around you and gone, I love you. You'd be kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I think let's let's maybe go to dinner one time. <laughs> and maybe if you if you if you kind of pump the brakes a bit, there'll be a second time. But that's that's all I'm giving you for now. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I did think that. Even as a kid, I was kind of like, I don't know if I buy that straight away. But then, you know, you have to remember as well, like the 90s was just the era of, oh yeah, people just fall in love on the second time. The second day they meet, they're in love. Like it's just, we just went with it. Like look, look at Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale in Batman 89. I loved you since the moment I met you, you know, six days ago, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I think that's why there was a whole generation messed up by movies. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, it's why they did that recently. Did that amazing stalking advert that plays like a rom com. It's like, oh yeah, many years ago. It, you know, it's not a new thing for me to be kind of like, you know, add different music to this rom com, and it's suddenly a woman and her stalker just beating her down to go on a date. Yeah, it's like I I really wish I could go back in time and. It's like not everybody loves big, grand, romantic gestures. And in fact, they make a lot of people uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, my wife told me exactly how she wanted to be proposed to. She didn't want a big, grand gesture. She's like, if you do that, yeah. it's going to be a no. Plus, I wouldn't have the balls to propose to somebody in front of a room full of people. I've tasted rejection many times. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to put myself in that position. Even if I was like, if you do this, I will 100% say yes. That'd still be the thing in the back of my mind of being like, no, absolutely not. I'm not walking into that trap. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, it's a contrivance of the movie, the whole, you know, him no, being yeah. another, because we've been on that journey with him and it's the yeah. payoff for us rather than. And and and, and it, it's it, it's just asking you to believe that if he genuinely means what he says and he's being true to himself and he's being present and it's not a trick then she will believe him then she ha- then he actually has earned her love and you know I, I, you know I'll I'll buy that you know i mean there's a certain element that you could kind of maybe she feels all that time as well mm. possibly maybe it's sort of like the two things coming together um i do love when he wakes up and she's there i like the pinches her and then he has that great line of today is tomorrow it happened i love the way he delivers that line yeah it's lovely today's tomorrow yeah and you know it's you know it's nice actually um february the third is my fiance Sirius's birthday so every time every time he says that we kind of look at each other and she goes it's my birthday and it's a great way to remember her birthday <laughs> and one year i got it wrong one year i i one year i wished her a happy birthday on groundhog day and i'll never forget it because she won't let me forget it you should have told her you were in a time loop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I do like the weird moment at the end where he's like, we should move here. You know, it's beautiful. We should move here. It's like, we'll start by renting. It's kind of like... We'll start by renting. Yeah. It's like he still hasn't entirely kind of given up his cynical old ways. I love that. It's kind of like you've been trapped here for God knows how long. A year, anywhere from a year to a millennium. That that's where I'm kind of like I I just feel like the the you know the the, the cynical old thirty four year old in me is creeping in there where I'm just kind of like I want to watch the dark sequel to this film where he decides to live in this town after you know living in this time loop for however many decades and he knows everybody in the town really 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 well and he knows absolutely everything about them but they've only known him for a single day and he's just this weird psychopath who lives in the town and is just inserting himself into everyone's lives and i just want to see what happens that there's your there's your streaming series like the day the next day call it the next day that's what you do 
and it's like the next day after this guy's been in time loop forever there's so much you could do with that that'd be kick-ass well if we know anything from the film monster squad there's at least 13 round dog day movies so oh i've never seen monster squad what, what what's that I know what Monster Squad is, but I've never seen it. What, what What's the Groundhog Day joke? It's the, the horror film that he wants to go and watch that he ends up sitting on the roof of his house and watching it, the drive-in across the way. It's just a horror movie called Groundhog Day 13. I think it's 13. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always make the joke of what, Groundhog, Day se- Groundhog Day sequels took a different thing. I guess it was taking the piss out of, like, you know, April Fool's Day, Valentine's Day, yeah. Halloween, all those seasonal based things they just use grand dog day but it's just quite amusing that there was then a grand dog day a few years later <laughs> sort of we've touched on it but would you have liked to have seen a sequel or a remake i know we sort of touched on the i'd like to see not so much phil but just the town being kind of like who was that guy like you say yeah i i feel i've never really thought about it before but i i feel like i would like to the, the great thing about grand hog day is that no i don't really need to see a sequel to it but I do like seeing new time loop stories and I like seeing new romantic comedies in time loops. Have you seen Palm Springs? Yes, it's the next episode in this series of time loop movies that we're doing. Yeah, so I thought that was lovely and I, I wish they'd do more stuff like that, I guess. Well, yeah, because we, kind of, we had a spate of them, didn't we? You had like Edge of Tomorrow, Palm Springs and Map of Tiny Perfect Things both dropped on Amazon Prime over here in the same year. So you've got the Happy Death Day films. There's been a couple of others as well. I can't think off the top of my head. And like you say, there's the Star Trek episode. There's the Lois and Clark episode. I, I would I would highly recommend the, the Supernatural episode. I don't know if you watch Supernatural, but uh, there's a time loop episode of that. I want to say in season three. And I remember that being very, very good as well. Uh, now, now, it is kind of wrapped up in the season arc of that, of that particular season. So you, I don't think you can kind of just go into it blind, but... That was very, very good. Like, it, it is just such a strong story conceit. Um, and, and where literally every other time loop story I've ever seen falls down on is, you know, that they take the time to tell you why the time loop is happening, which I don't necessarily think you need to do. And Groundhog Day is unique in that it doesn't do that. And, and unfortunately, it's almost like no other time loop story can do that now because Groundhog Day did it, you know? Time loops are one of those things, if they're done really well, like say this, those films, Star Trek, Next Generation, Agents of Shield did a pretty good one as well. Mm. Um, I'll always have a soft spot for the Lois and Clark one, partly because it's a Christmas episode as well. But yeah, you can either do them really well; they can be really tedious if they're done badly. Yes, because I think there was and, another and it... time loop movie that came out the same year as this. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, and that sort of obviously got lost, and I think went straight. I think it was a TV movie anyway. So. I will say one thing for this film. It's got an awful poster. Very, very strange poster. It's like, like whatever about Bill Murray being trapped in the clock, you have Andy McDowell just kind of like coming in from the bottom, like a cardboard cutout that they just kind of, it's very, very weird. And it's kind of had a weird history of bad DVD covers as well. There, there was a weird Blu-ray of it like a while back where they did that awful thing to Bill Murray's face where it's like they took an image of his face but painted over it or something. It's like they did with the one of the Bond film releases where they like, put a soft focus on there yeah they, they did that with a bunch of james bond re-releases and timothy dalton just looks like a melted ken doll or something roger moore looks like he just got off the moonraker thing in all of them um but yeah this one as well like in the background because it's he's trapped in an alarm clock on the windowsill 
which is not even the windowsill of the hotel room. And then behind it's like Martha's Vineyards or something. There's like tree green trees and hills and everything. It's such a bizarre poster. It's very strange. And when, when you can when you contrast it with Multiplicity, which we mentioned, which is the less iconic film, but it has a way more iconic poster. I mean the Bill Murray trapped in the clock, fair enough. It's yeah. the adding in the Andy McDowell, the windowsill. Martha's Vineyard or whatever it is in the background. The Bill Murray bit kind of tells you what the film is. The rest of it has nothing to do with the film. It's like, no. oh, and we've got Andy McDowell. And she she's just kind of like pasted in the corner. It's it's really weird. It's like they cropped her out or something and then she kind of fell back in. Well, it's a bit like she was never on the poster and then Four Weddings happened and they were like, we better slap her on the new posters. But Four Weddings nah. happened the year after. So I don't know whether yes. it was for the video they then slapped it on and the film poster had something different, whether she was always on it. And, and also... And also, you've just reminded me that the, the clock that Bill Murray is trapped within is an old-timey alarm clock with the clanging bell thing on it. It's not the iconic clock radio that's in the film. I love that slow-mo shot of after he's been rejected so many times, of it just slowly yeah. going from 559 five, to that's lovely. 6. And the, fo- the foley on it is so good, where it's just you can just hear it like falling down in slow motion like the the plates are enormous it's like that sound you hear when you're led in bed you know your alarm's gonna go off and you're just watching the clock waiting for it to happen it's exactly what that feels like i mean i think we've largely covered everything to do with groundhog day unless oh have you ever seen the musical i have not and i only actually read yesterday that there is such a thing um i would be a little bit wary of it i i have seen some of those kind of musical revivals of films i saw the dirty dancing one and i was quite disappointed i didn't know like the dirty dancing one is is largely a spoof of dirty dancing or at least kind of like an affectionate parody i don't know what you call it but like it's a really loud really broad kind of just like joke of a thing whereas i genuinely really really like dirty dancing and i kind of didn't expect it to be that so I would be kind of wary of a Groundhog Day thing like that, where they'd just be like shouting the movie at you, you know, that kind of way. Have you seen it? I haven't, no, because as far as I know, it didn't run for very long, despite getting really good reviews, because it's Tim Minchin doing the songs, but apparently it's really good. But I'm Oh, wow, Tim Minchin. Because there was this whole spate, I don't know whether it started with the producers or Hairspray, and then they just seemed to anything. So High Fidelity had one, Footloose has got one, like you say, Dirty Dancing. There's a Back to the Future one that's supposed to be really good. I, I think as well, though, like when I think Groundhog Day, I'm not thinking of the banging soundtrack the way I am with Dirty Dancing or Back to the Future or Footloose. So it's kind of like if, you know, it, I, I don't know that I'd be rushing to go as it whereas you know, that with all those other ones, you're, you're just as you're just as excited about hearing the songs as you are about watching the movie. So it feels like a strange, a strange choice to make a musical out of. Yeah, because I think... um. It's all original songs by Tim Minchin, which yeah, which he did Matilda as well, didn't he? Which was That's actually a huge really hit. Yeah, yeah. My eldest, when he left primary school, their end of primary school play was Matilda, so I heard those songs ad nauseum. And your heart was warmed every single time. I think if it was easy to see, I would watch the Grand Old Day musical. So I, I was finally going to cave and watch the Footloose one because I adore the film Footloose and I have no shame in it. Um, and I. I put off wanting to see the music for ages. Then I finally decided that it was playing in Cheltenham. I was going to go and watch it. And then COVID happened. Uh, no, I, I would absolutely go to it. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, I mean, why not? That that, that could be absolutely lovely. Um, I, I do really, really want to see the Back to the Future one, if it ever lands back here again. Um, 
But yeah, that that's my only thing is with those kind of musical versions of things that they always just, or or at least with with old nostalgic movies like that, that they, they seem to just kind of like shout the movie at you in a way and that that was my experience with dirty dancing i know that that plays really really well to a certain audience it just wasn't wasn't really for me and you know <laughs> to be fair i'm not I'm, I'm not really the demographic of people that tends to love dirty dancing so maybe uh maybe i'm not as in tune with that fan base as i thought i was i think sometimes it depends on the actors as well i think like their first yeah. run where they've got a really good cast and then it gradually drops down the celebrity scale to the point where like Footloose and Charlton was Gareth Gates. Nothing against Gareth Gates, but from where they probably Gareth started. Gates as to, I live and breathe. Oh my goodness. To where they ended up. But yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of it depends on that. I'd just be curious to see how you do Grand Dog Day on the stage. Same with Back to the Future. Really curious to see how they do that. But all right, then the, the one question I'm asking everybody in these time loop episodes. Oh, I'm, like I'm, I say, I'm a little bit frightened about this. It, it is the basic bitch press junket for a time loop movie question that they would have asked which is if you were stuck in a time loop what would you do after the suicide and you know sleazily seducing women let's say that's a given i feel this is such a boring answer i I, oh about time we didn't mention but not not a time loop movie as such but there's time loop elements in it bill nye makes this great point in it where he's like yeah i just did a lot of reading (laughs) i mainly just read i'm just like yeah that'd be kind of great wouldn't it like just just being able to read and or watch things and not have any sense of guilt that you're wasting time while doing it you know that kind of way i would just consume and consume and consume you could do anything (laughs) to physically improve your body because it'd be erased by the next day Uh, well i've Great point. Yeah, you know, no hangovers. You know that there's there's loads of things there, but yeah, yeah, just the the feeling of that childhood feeling of being able to see. You can't do it with video games, though. I was thinking about this. You can't play video games in a time loop because your your progress wouldn't be saved. So unless it's a game that you can finish in a few hours, that that would be very fruitless, and that would be depressing in its own way. But definitely reading like reading books you could just read as many books as you could possibly dream of you could watch everything on netflix you know all all that stuff that you're kind of like oh you know i probably shouldn't do that like i should get go out and clean up the house or i should go for a walk or i should do this or the other thing all those kind of indulgences that you don't really let yourself just kick back and enjoy once once you get into adult life you you just be able to yeah it would be incredible and failing that, I mean, yeah, I'd probably rob a bank. <laughs> but then it's like, what do you even use? The, it's that Brewster's Millions problem again. It's like, what do you even use a million dollars for if you only have a day to spend it? Well, that's it. I mean, we're going on the assumption that it's a day time loop because it's, mm. it's always generally a day, with the exception of Edge of Tomorrow, I think it's always a day time loop, isn't it? Yeah. I would actually, in saying that, I would experiment with some pretty crazy just sort of extreme sports suicides as well like i i you know if if i knew that you know i wasn't going to be dead afterwards i feel like jumping off a building would actually be pretty cool (laughs) and it would be painless so it would just be like a really really cool skydive without any you know complicated setup or training or anything like that you just get to jump off a building see the thing with me is i would have to have reached like the lowest point of despair where i just want to die because there would always be the thing in the back of my head of like what if this is the day 
that it ends. But then the other the other problem then as well is I always remember Palm Springs actually, your next next week's episode, there's that line in it where he goes he's he's trying to commit suicide in one scene and he he places his head right on the dashboard of the car and his point is that uh you know, if I do this, it'll be a quick and painless death because the last thing you want is to die slowly in the ICU for hours while you're waiting for the day to reset. So if you were doing an, ex- an extreme sport suicide like that, you'd want to make sure that you were definitely going to die quickly in it. Yeah, like jump out of a plane with a parachute. <laughs> yeah, it's like driving can be risky because you might you might survive and then just be crippled and in agony for hours before the day resets. You got to think these things through. That that was a strange meandering answer, but I hope it gave you some uh, some perspective. W- one of the one of the sort of cursed monkey paw things about a time loop in the modern age is none of your digital progress follows with you. Whereas in the kind of analog times, none of that mattered. Like it was all fine. But now it's like that. There's this whole digital life that we have, and it would be reset every single day. That that would be pretty tortuous. Now I have to say. Yeah, I don't have a very exciting digital life either. Although, yeah, and and again, maybe we just discovered that all that stuff is meaningless and it doesn't really matter, which which would probably be a lesson in its own. So, anything you want to plug before we go? Obviously, All Star Superfan is All Star Superfan is flying high. We're we're recording our next episode very very soon, and by the time this goes out, uh, I want to say there there'll be a lovely episode that we recorded with you all about the RoboCop franchise. Nothing at all to do with Superman. Uh, just a brand new year. We wanted to, we wanted to talk about RoboCop because that new game came out before Christmas. We found some connections. You, you were on that. It was a great discussion. I listened back to it the other day, and that'll be out very soon. So if anybody wants to listen to us talk about all the RoboCop movies, the game, the recent game that came out that we really loved, and most importantly, RoboCop the series, you can check out All Star Superfan. Awesome. I'll put all the links in the show notes and everything anyway. But yeah, no cheers for doing this. Um. I really enjoyed it. And now we'll have to go off and record it all exactly the same again. Ah, <laughs> I'm well used to it. I've done it. I've done it for 10 years now or 20 years. Who knows how long I've been doing this for. They're gone. They're all gone. Do you know what today is? No, what? <laughs> today is tomorrow. It happened. You're here. I'm here. Oh, Phil, why weren't you like this last night? You just fell asleep. <laughs> it was the end of a very long day. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do for you today? Hmm. I'm sure I could think of something. So beautiful. Let's live here.
rent to start. What a day this has been. What a rare mood I'm in. Why it's almost like being in love. There's a smile on my face for the whole human race. Why it's almost like being. That was Groundhog Day. And why not? I'd like to thank Rob for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check out the All Star Superfan podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find all the links you need in the show notes. Or head over to our website at hauntednerds.com for the links and some extra bonus content like trailers, featurettes and more. At the time of recording, Groundhog Day is available in the UK on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K from Sony Pictures. We put a shout out on the socials as usual, but there were no thoughts on the film for me to read out in this episode. But if you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation where you ever see this episode posted or on our social media channels. You can give us a follow on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Or if you prefer, you can drop us an email at hauntednerds at gmail.com. Over on our socials, not only we kept up to date of what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you've missed any And Why Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, though, we'll be back on Tuesday the 13th of February, when Time Loop Month continues with Stacey Taylor returning to the pod to discuss the 2020 Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, Time Loop Romantic Comedy, so it doubles as our Valentine's Day episode 2, Palm Springs. We'll put the usual shout-out on the socials, but if you'd like to get a jump on it and let us know your thoughts on Palm Springs, you can drop us an email or a voice clip to hauntednerds at gmail.com using the subject header Palm Springs, and I'll either play them or read them out on that episode. But until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't drive on the railroad track. Bye for now. Let me handle this. Yeah, uh, three cheeseburgers, two large fries... Uh, two chocolate shakes and one large Coke. And some flapjacks. Too early for flapjacks?